Some years ago, more than I would like to admit to, I was working for a company in the centre of Birmingham and we were increasingly attracting work of an international flavour. We had some new clients from America. We had some clients in Ireland. Yay! There's some German clients and French, Spanish and Japanese. Japanese. Uh, increasing numbers of Japanese businesses be investing in the West Midlands. And we quickly learned, especially with the Japanese people, that if we were to work successfully with them, more important than language, which surprisingly wasn't much of an issue because most of the rest of the world speaks better English than we speak, French, German or Japanese. What was more of a challenge was understanding one another's different cultures. And this was particularly so with the Japanese businesses that we were working with. They just had a completely different way of working. And it became clear that getting this wrong could make or break a deal and you wouldn't know why. So for the sake of these Japanese businesses, we had some cultural appreciation training. It was absolutely fascinating for all sorts of reasons. And these are some of the things that uh, I still remember that we had to learn. Things that you just wouldn't think of, like how to sit. We had to be careful how we sat. It was disrespectful to sit down before the most senior person in the room had sat down. Not to slouch back in the chair, but, a, but to sit on the edge of the chair was polite. Not to cross your legs so that the soles of your feet were showing. That was very offensive. We learnt about the art of negotiation. Not to open negotiations too quickly. A meeting could often take all day whilst the most important matters of getting to know you and your family and some very personal questions about your family was the normal order uh, of the day. And this was part of getting to know you and building a culture of trust. And until that was done, no business could be done. How to eat. Don't start until the most senior person in the room has started. Never pour a drink for yourself. If you need a drink, you pour a drink for somebody next to you, which is awkward if they haven't actually drunk any of their drink yet, so you just pour it and hope that it doesn't overfill, and then they will pour you a drink. How to sneeze. That was the most interesting one. On no account must you sneeze in public. You must only sneeze in private. Not to leave the table for any purpose unless the host does so, even to relieve yourself. It was so fantastically interesting. But over the last five weeks, we've been doing some of our own cultural appreciation training together as a church because we've been looking at our own culture and we're trying to build something that is incredibly countercultural. And the Jubilee culture is being defined by these five words. We're talking about honour, which is receiving and releasing people according to how God sees them. We want to see people as God sees them and release them in that way. Courage. We want to be an encouraging group of people. We want to encourage and celebrate risk-taking faith. 
authenticity. We want people to feel free to live transparently and truthfully with no shame attached to it. We're really serious about that. Passion. We've seen some of that passion this afternoon, haven't we? Passionate worship. Pursuing God and his kingdom wholeheartedly and without inhibition. We expect the flavor of our meetings together to be passionate for heart-filled prayers. Heartfelt prayers for cries out to God. That's exactly the kind of thing that we're about. And today we're going to be talking about family. Reflecting heaven's community on earth and showing love and acceptance to people everywhere. I just want to pray before I get into this. Okay, can we just stand for a moment? I really feel like we need the anointing of the Holy Spirit on us <laughs> for this talk. Holy Spirit, will you just come now? In fact, Lord, thank you you haven't left the building, but I ask you for a particular anointing on us as a church now to open the eyes of revelation that we're going to need for this. Holy Spirit, will you just release your favor on us now? Lord, would you enable me to preach and to speak from the heart about this, Lord, with all authenticity and courage and all the rest? Holy Spirit, will you do something amongst us this afternoon? Would you reveal your Father heart to us in a powerful way? Thank you, Lord. Just fill us with your spirit now, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please do take your seat. So we're talking about family. What is family? Well, family is the cultural word that most clearly sets out who we are together as a group of people. Family is about our corporate identity together as believers. So when we talked about honour, we said that's about my personal identity. Uh, uh, sorry, your identity and how I see you. When we talked about authenticity, we talked about my identity uh, and how I see myself. When we talk about family, we're talking about our corporate identity, who we are together as a body of believers. We are not just a random group of people. We're not just a club that happens to meet on a Sunday afternoon. We are the family of God, the people of God. And this is very important because God said that it is through a family that all the nations of the earth will be blessed. We're part of that family, blessing all nations. Now, naturally, family is about a biological connection between children and their parents. It's about a group of people who are genetically related to each other. That's the sort of formal definition. But there are, of course, many different kinds of family. Single-parent families are a blended family, so-called. There are families created by adoption or fostering. But naturally, from definition point of view, family comes from our biology. It's from our genes. Now, spiritually... Family is about our connection to God as our Father through faith in Jesus, along with all other believers who then become our spiritual family. I love it when you travel around the world and you meet another Christian and you spot them and they spot you. (laughs) They see the family resemblance. There's something amazing about that. But the family of God is huge. It covers, it includes all believers, but not just the ones that are living today, but all the believers that have ever been and all the believers that will ever become. 
That's pretty big, isn't it? That's a pretty big family. It's a good job we don't have to buy birthday presents for everybody. (laughs) And every human being is created by God, but not everyone is a child of God. You know, the only way to get into God's family is to be born into it. It's the same way that you become a member of an earthly family. But this is a spiritual second birth that's needed. And not only are we born again into this spiritual family, but God also adopts us, meaning that we acquire the full rights of blood-born relatives in the family of God. We don't deserve this, but we get it because he loves us. Isn't that wonderful? So what does family not mean? That's what family does mean. What does it not mean? I've just got to say that out of all the words that we looked at when we were uh, designing this culture series, this is the one that we struggled with more than any other. We kind of debated this word. And the reason is, is that it raises so many possible questions in people's minds. Now, for example, if we talk about a ch- our church family, it sounds quite exclusive. It's our church family. And uh, people might think, well, if it's your church family, what about if I'm, I don't have children? You know, What about if I'm single? Uh, does that mean I can't be part of this church because it's a family church? Or it could cause us some problems with people who now have a very different definition of family. It could raise all kinds of issues for us you know, if you call yourself a family, then you have to embrace some, embrace some of our ideas of family then. It's one of your cultural values. Or others might say, well, I just don't like the idea of family at all. In fact, I've had enough of family. I grew up in one and I don't like it. And it can create all kinds of issues for us, very similar to how the Father Heart of God does, okay? And we wondered, in fact, whether to avoid the word family altogether and opt for something safer, like relational. A church that does things in a relational way. We liked that idea. That sounded good. But it just seemed so weak and unbiblical. And the more we talked about it and prayed about it, the more we became convinced that family was what we really meant, and certainly that's what God had in store for us. And so family, I just want to say, is not a statement about Jubilee's social makeup. It's about our spiritual heritage together, and it's how we want to do things. Amen? So what does it mean to have a culture of family? Well, I've just got to say, I have found this incredibly hard to be succinct. There's just so much to describe, but here's my attempt And you can add your own things. Firstly, it means that we will be a church that is big on relationship. That means we protect, we grow, and we encourage relationship. It it means being relational, and not whatever the opposite of that might be, hierarchical or positional or corporate. We're going to be big on relationship together. And secondly, family is more about... uh, is more than friendship, because you can choose your friends, as they say, but you are stuck with your family through thick and thin. And so it's about a group of people who are deeply committed to one another and go through things together. 
That's what it means to be a family. It doesn't mean, right, because you're going through a hard time, you're not part of my family. You can't. There's a, there's a connection there. It's genetic, spiritually, but it's genetics. We are in it together. We go through stuff together. And family is about being multi-generational, where both the oldest and the youngest get to make their own valuable contributions. So I just loved it. The other week we had somebody who was much older bring a fantastic tongue and then we had one of the children come out and bring a prophetic word. That's what it's about. It's multi-generational. We want them to have their own contributions. And it's about spiritual fathers and mothers raising sons and daughters who will in turn become spiritual parents because they've been modelled in that. That's what we want to see in the church. It's not just about, I've got my position now and that's it. You know, I fought to get here. No, it's always about giving it away and raising others up. It's also about becoming increasingly diverse. You know, reflecting the flavor of heaven, which is made up of people from every tongue, tribe and nation. We're not there yet. But that's what we want to be. That's what we're going for, increasingly diverse as a body of people. And family is a style of doing things. If we say that we're going to do things in a family way, we're talking about warmth. We're talking about welcome. We're talking about being hospitable. It's about times of fun. It's about eating food together and laughter. Because as, as I often say, you know, church is meant to be fun, people. It is. It's meant to be fun. It's meant to be the happiest place on earth. I can't wait to get and be with my family. It's just such a happy place to be. Church is meant to be fun. I really believe that. And so finally for now, family is about a growing family resemblance. (laughs) A kind of distinctiveness as a church. Not that we all look and sound and dress the same. We've already covered that. I'm not cool enough. Okay. But it is about a group of people who get the Jubilee way. You know, I'd love it if people say, oh, you're from Jubilee Church. I can tell. But in a good way, you know. (laughs) (laughs) But that we grow together in the understanding of what we're about and what we're called to be together. That's what we want. That family resemblance. We know we're on a mission together. And there's a particular way that we do that. So these are some of my ideas of what family looks like culturally. I want you to dream yourself and think about that as you go from here today. But in the end, it all comes back to one thing. This whole thing comes back to the father heart of God. Because it's his fatherhood alone that makes this possible. See, at the root of a culture of family is the father heart of God. It's about knowing and experiencing the Father heart of God. It's foundational, actually. It's foundational to know God as Father if we're going to be in a right relationship with him. Because if we don't know God as Father, or that his heart towards us is one of unconditional love and acceptance, then our relationship with him and with one another will be dysfunctional. We'll always be striving and working and trying. (laughs) If we just know that he loves us, You know, if we don't know that, it won't work properly. We won't communicate properly. We won't grow properly. We won't thrive together as people. It keeps us, knowing this keeps us from operating out of a place of performance 
or where we're just striving all the time to gain acceptance. It keeps us from guilt-driven, legalistic thinking and behaving. So I think this is pretty important, that we know the Father's love for us. And it certainly affects the way we relate to one another. And in a culture of family, there's a very different kind of motivation. See, I don't have to do anything for God. Did you know that? You don't actually have to do anything for God. He's already done it all. (laughs) But I get to do stuff for him and with him. And when I do, I feel his pleasure. I feel his pleasure. I hear his well done. I feel that he's with me and he's for me. So I want to do things for God to please him. But that's a different kind of motivation to being guilt-driven. Is, is that okay with you? Sorry, it's just a quiet blank face there. Oh. So this is how God wants us to do things. In relationship with one another as family, out of relationship with him as father. In relationship with one another as family, out of a relationship with him as father. You see, family exists because of God's father heart. That's why it exists. And a key verse for us in this cultural aspect is in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. It jumps into the beginning of a prayer that Paul is making, but he'll forgive us that because there's some great theology right at the beginning of his prayer. It's good to pray with good theology. (laughs) And this is what he says in verse uh, 13 to 14 of Ephesians chapter 3. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. And I briefly just want to draw out three things from this verse. Here we go. First one is Father. I bow my knee before the Father. We call him Father. We call God Father. You know, for generations throughout the Old Testament, God was very rarely known as Father. In fact, God only appears as Father 17 times in the whole of the Old Testament compared to 261 times in the New Testament. You know, and even when he does appear as father, it's often used in a more biological or creator sense than a relational one. So father and creator of all things, the one who brought forth life, but not this kind of intimate word that speaks more about family relationship with God when we call him father. And most commonly through the Old Testament, God is Yahweh or Jehovah. This name appears over 6,500 times. That's amazing, isn't it? And it was the supreme name of God. Yahweh was considered so holy that the Hebrews couldn't even say it out loud. They missed out some of the letters when they wrote it, which I don't know. But this doesn't, doesn't this kind of underline the distance between them and God? Rather than Father, certainly couldn't be described as intimate. In the New Testament, Paul, for example, consistently refers to God as Father. He does so 42 times in his letters, eight of which in one book. Eight times in one book, Ephesians. And there's no other description of God that is used so often in the New Testament. And I think this is because of Jesus. 
I think this is because of how Jesus taught his disciples, because Jesus made it very clear when he's teaching his disciples to address God as Father in heaven, but he uses the intimate word, Papa or Daddy. This is how we're to address him, address him when we pray. Through faith in him, we're given the right to call, be called children of God, his offspring. He's our daddy, he's our papa, he's the one that we can be intimate with. He's our father. And secondly, the word family. For this reason, Paul says, I kneel before the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And it's not clear to us in the English version of this verse But in the Greek, I'm told, there's a play on words going on in this sentence because the word father and family are strongly related to one another, no pun intended. So that J.B. Phillips translates the verse like this. He says, the father from whom all fatherhood derives its name. (laughs) The father from whom all fatherhood derives its name. I like this because it's very clear here that in that version that fatherhood and family was God's idea. It was not man's invention. It, it, it comes from him who himself is described in familial terms, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But also, I like it, there's this implication that without the fatherhood of God, there'd be no such thing as fathers. He's the ultimate model of fatherhood. Without him, there'd be no fatherhood, and there would be therefore no family. And so, it, and of course it was from this family that Jesus was sent, God's only son to save us. I, I'm so glad that Jesus came as the son of God. He, he didn't come as another prophet to tell us where we'd gone wrong. He didn't come as another judge to condemn us or a lawyer to convict us. He came as something much more relationally in, intimate. He came as the son of the father who loves us. And the first of many sons who would, through faith in Jesus, be brought into this great family of God that spans heaven and earth. And that brings me on to the third point, heaven to earth connection. Couldn't think of a better way of describing the last part of that verse. It says, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Every family, or it's better translated, the whole family derives its name. The whole family of believers for all time is connected through his fathering of us. And this family exists through all time, but also now in heaven. Not just all time, but now in heaven where we are seated with him. You see, we are heavenly citizens and we bring his kingdom to earth. But this is an important part of what we bring to earth. The family resemblance of heaven. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but we are on earth here today to extend the family of heaven. That's why we're family. And so to call ourselves family as church is not about sociology, but theology worked out practically. We're the family of God. Wow. So how will we know if this aspect of our culture is working? Do you know, before I share this, I just want to say that 
For those that haven't been with us in this series, we've taken quite a lot of time over pulling this together and we've sort of talked to different people in the church, different groups that we've met. And I've got to say that as we receive the feedback from the church about all of the family attributes that people were seeing in our culture, I was personally overwhelmed. In fact, to be truly authentic, I cried. I was moved to tears. I thought, how, how did that happen? You know, I don't remember teaching on that. You know, we didn't tell people they had to do that. It just came back. That's what it feels like to be part of this church. It's like being part of a family. And a lot of these words that I'm now going to use in describing how this culture works are words that you have given us. So I'm quoting back what you said. Okay. So here we go. Some of the outcomes of being family that we're seeing and expecting to see more of as a church. Firstly, a church that is relational. You know, in a culture of family, relationships are very important to us. And that means that we're going to guard and protect relationships. It means that we keep short accounts with one another. We don't gossip or speak behind one another's backs negatively. But rather we... I don't mind if we speak behind one another's backs positively. But we don't do it negatively. We encourage one another and rejoice when one rejoices and weep when one weeps because we're in it together. And there will also be outcomes of this in our leadership style. So our leadership style, I trust, and tell me if it isn't, but it's not dominating. It's not controlling or lording it over people, but fathers and mothers who release and encourage others. We want to be leaders that are consultative, but not afraid to lead. A leadership that's done with affection. I was going to say infection. (laughs) That would have been wrong, wouldn't it? Leadership that's done with affection and not imposed because of position. We're not task-focused, but people-minded. Relational. Do you want to be part of something that's relational? That's family. Secondly, in a culture of family, it's a church that is hospitable. Do you know, I loved it. Uh, when we welcomed the other Birmingham churches to our celebration last year with Julian Adams, uh, the one of the big questions that I had to deal with, and you know, as a leader, you get to make all big decisions and this kind of. But this was one of the biggest ones. How are we going to show love and hospitality to all these people? How are we going to do? I said, well, we could just assume that they've eaten before they came. You know, they've had a drink, they can get something on the way. But that's not the Jubilee way. I was told. And I love that. That's not the Jubilee way. And so there was so much effort made on little party bags for the children and and food and drinks. That's the Jubilee way, (laughs) to be welcoming and hospitality like that. And a lot of what we do is based around food and being welcoming to others because we're family. You know, in our life groups, we open our homes to one another and eat together as well as pray and worship and read the Bible. Some people, when they come into this, they think, when's the meeting going to start? When's the meeting going to start? All this time we're wasting eating. No, you don't get it. The meeting starts as soon as we meet, as soon as we eat. Meeting or starts with eating. (laughs) I like that. Do you like that, Chris? (laughs) 
And on Sunday, we try to be hospitable in our welcome. It's just interesting, we've put flasks at the back and we were just talking about how that's working and that kind of thing. And, and Ruth just made the comment on Friday, said, yeah, but, you know, in a family, you just go and help yourself to a drink, don't you? You don't have to ask permission. I thought, oh, yeah, that's true. That's what we want, isn't it? So we're always looking for ways to be more hospitable. And we'll sort of evaluate, were the cakes up to scratch this week? Maybe not. <laughs> Being hospitable. But also inviting one another for meals. And I know this goes on through the week. And toddler group as well, it has a very similar feel. There's the hospitality thing going on there. In our weekends away together, when we go away together as a church, we want this to have the feel of a family holiday, without the rows, hopefully. Uh, (laughs) But, you know, being away together is not just about meetings, it's about having fun, laughing, and, of course, food. Hospitality. And thirdly... A church that lives out the Father's heart. Sorry, I couldn't come up with one word on that. But, you know, if we really understand this teaching and are starting to live it out, then I would expect to see a group of people who are not striving and grasping for position, but people that are increasingly secure in God, knowing that they're loved, and able to be generously loving with one another, because we know how much we're loved. In this atmospheric of acceptance, lives will be changed. Healing will take place. People are pastored by one another through family. It's not all about the elders, the pastors, the leaders, the life group leaders. We one another it. And we grow to be proud of one another in a culture of family. Wouldn't you like to be part of a family that's proud of you? Do you know, my dad boasts about me, it's embarrassing. (laughs) But isn't that wonderful if we could do that for one another? Proud to be together. Are we there yet? Not nearly far enough. But we are on this road and we're very intentional about building church as family. And we're asking you to help us to do it. As leaders, we want to set that out and say, that's what we're going for, and we want you to be with us on it. And if we slip up, if we mess up, tell us. We're serious about this. I just want to make some closing remarks, because we've actually just come to the end of our series now. This is the last of the talks in the series. We've set out our cultural values. And I know that this hasn't been easy for some I know actually that as we've talked about some of these things and sort of brought it out to the open and said, this is what we're going for, actually it's stirred some things up. <laughs> it's stirred up some disappointments from the past or hurts even, saying, yeah, but it hasn't been like that for me when I was in so-and-so or there. I know. That's why we're so, being so determined about setting it out now at this stage. We're just up to our fifth year as a church and then in the autumn we're going to be launching our uh, next five years, what we're expecting God to do in our next five years, our next five-year vision. And we felt like we needed to get this foundation very clear because I believe that in this next five years, we're going to see a lot of change, a lot of growth, a lot of people coming in amongst us. So we wanted to be clear and say, Look, this is what we're going for, this is what we're about, this is how we want to do church. But you might fear, well, I think this is too good to be true. Yes, it is. Too good, but it's true. 
This is serious. And I want to close this series with this assurance. We're going for it. We believe that God is leading and inspiring us. I want to tell you, honestly, if God hadn't inspired this in my heart, I'd have rather not said half of this stuff. It would have been far less flack and far safer. We just muddle along and do church. No, we felt like we needed to set it out and be clear and say, this is what we're going for. So come on, are you with me? Are you with us? Yeah.